Thank you that you are so good to us in every way. And now as we want to turn our hearts to your word, open our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, allow us to receive your truth and live it. For you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we said that it is important to ask ourselves on occasion, what is it that we're supposed to be doing as a church? What is it that we're supposed to be doing? What should life together in Christ's church be like? Especially as we're celebrating our one-year anniversary together this morning. And we looked at Acts chapter 2 and the earliest Christians and three key words if you remember them from last week, that were found in our text, and I said were important to the life of the body. And those three words were devotion, together, and daily. Devotion, together, and daily. Devotion, the earliest Christians were committed. And their commitment was a priority. It was, it was not a hobby. They were closely and continuously associated with these things, the things being the church and church life. It was part of their identity, or better, what I said last week, it came out of their identity in Christ. Because they were in Christ, they attached themselves to the things of Christ and His Spirit. And so must we. Together, together with all things in common. That's what Luke writes. We are one and our unity matters. We have to live in this unity. It's actually part of our devotion. See, part of our attachment to Christ, beloved, is that we are also attached to His followers. It's part of who we are. We need each other. In fact, having each other Many of our needs are being filled. That's how Christ fills our needs, through the body that He surrounds us with. Daily was the other word. Not only when it's convenient. It's the regular pulse of our, our lives. It's, it's our heartbeat. They were on the same page. They marched to the beat of the same drum. They were in step with each other. You get the picture. Devotion, together, daily. That needs to be us. I think in many ways it is. Remember, Luke laid it out. He said the early church was devoted to these four things. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And actually, some people believe, and I think they're right, that the concept of fellowship or koinonia that we talked about last week, partnership that Luke is writing about here, is actually defined by the two phrases that follow the breaking of bread, and the prayers. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And how do we see that fellowship? We see it in, in a couple of ways. One, they were breaking bread together regularly. And the other thing is that they were praying together. That's koinonia. That's fellowship. This morning, again, as we think about who we are in Christ and what it means for our lives together, we're going to focus more narrowly on those two concepts. Breaking of bread and prayers. See, these two ideas are two of the most Christ-centered activities we could ever participate in. 
Remember, we said the apostles' teaching always highlighted Jesus. But I believe so do breaking of bread and praying together when rightly understood. They're all about Jesus. And we said we want to be a Christ-centered church. And so with that in mind, open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 2 again. Acts chapter 2. We're going to look once again at verses 42 through 47. And we're going to dig in. Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. Hear now God's Word. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen? I want to zero in this morning on those two things, breaking of bread and the prayers, but we're going to do it in reverse. We're going to start with the prayers. Take a look back at verse 42. Now, some of you have heard the saying, I'm sure, a family that prays together what? Stays together. Okay. Well, here we find that a church that prays together grows. Okay. A little different than the other saying. But a church that prays together grows. First thing you need to notice in the text is that we're told that they were devoted to the prayers. Do you notice that in your text? It's in the plural, the prayers. And that's an interesting way of putting it. Maybe it's because they were following the pattern of temple worship that had multiple prayers throughout the day, these set prayer times. I think that's the case. It tells us of their commitment, by the way. Morning prayer, afternoon prayer, evening prayer. They were doing so together. But one of the things that comes to my mind when I think about those earliest Christians gathering together for prayer and I think about their particular prayers is this. They may have followed some of the formal prayers with the Jewish community as they continued to go to the temple daily, as we're told here. But those prayers now were radically changed. And they took on a much deeper meaning for them as they now have a much fuller understanding of the promises and the plans of God, right? Some of you probably attended church before you were truly born again and you had come to know Christ. You probably did it as a pattern in your family's life and it was something that you did. But once you came to know Christ that worship became so different. They knew Jesus now. They had come to believe and behold Him as their Messiah. The mysteries that were in the Old Covenant had become revealed to them. Something significant changed about their prayers then too. You see, New Covenant prayers always begin with a sense of in-Christness. And they are guided by the Holy Spirit who dwells in them, different than what they experienced in the Old Covenant. Remember, Jesus taught His disciples that they were to come before God and when they were to pray, they were to ask for things what? 
in his name. Why? Because he needed them and us to understand that it is our relationship with Jesus and only our relationship with Jesus that allows us access to the Father. Nothing more, nothing less. Christ is our mediator. It's because of what Christ has accomplished that we can draw near to the throne of grace with confidence. Without the kind of distance that the sacrificial system insisted on. It's because of Christ's worthiness that we are made worthy. It's because of Christ's righteousness that God can look upon us with favor. And every time we pray, as New Testament believers, we pray in Christ. And every time we pray in Christ, we realize that Jesus brings us into the very family room of God together with everyone else who is in Christ. He's got a very big living room. It's like the prayer lifts us out of this world and into his presence. Just imagine it every time we pray and especially as we're praying together. The second thing we have to look at though is the kinds of things, what kinds of things were the early Christians praying for? Remember, the apostles said that they had to commit themselves to teaching the word and prayer. What were these prayers? What was on their minds? If we look at Paul's prayers in his letters, we get at least one thing clear. They were praying fundamentally not for physical needs or material things, but for spiritual awareness, growth, strength, endurance. Paul wasn't praying for the health and wealth of his people. Never. Paul was praying that those he was ministering to would know Jesus deeply, would know the hope that they have in him, would think like him, would be bold for him. That's what they were praying for. Paul was praying that the hearts of those he ministered to would conform to the heart of Christ. That even if they were to suffer, and he, Paul, Paul promised that suffering would come to Christians, they would suffer with the knowledge that this present suffering can't compare to the glory already ours in eternity. And the question is, is this what we pray for? Paul prayed for a change in the way we think, the way we see, even the way we feel. The apostles wanted our eyes opened and faith increased. In fact, Prayer itself turns our eyes in the right direction. That's why it's so important for the church to do together. Imagine, every time we pray, we are turning our eyes away from ourselves and to the Lord. So then what about the church as a whole? What were they praying for? Were they different than the apostles? Maybe the apostles prayed for spiritual things, but the people of God themselves were a little less mature. They were praying for something different. Well, turn, if you will, to Acts 4. You're already in Acts, so you could turn to Acts chapter 4 just for a moment. This is after the disciples have been threatened by the Jewish leadership to stop preaching in the name of Jesus under the threat of violence and punishment. Instead of praying, Lord, stop those who are persecuting us, or Lord, give us reinforcements so we can cause fear in their hearts instead of them in ours. 
Or instead of praying, Lord, give us the political savvy to navigate these times, you know what they prayed for? It's really revealing of what they believed was their identity and their mission. Look at Acts 4, 29 through 30. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. you got to understand something here. The disciples were persecuted and Christians were persecuted because they were preaching in Jesus' name and they were persecuted because of the signs and wonders and the healings that were being done in Jesus' name. So the prayer from the Christians was this. Give us boldness to keep preaching even with threats going on around us. And not only that, they're asking, Lord, please continue to do the signs and wonders that got us in this mess in the first place, but we know are what you use to draw people to yourself because, Lord, you are worthy to be known and nothing else matters. Do you understand their focus here? They knew that they were to be a light in the darkness. They knew that they were on mission. And so their prayers focused on the mission more than on their own comforts. They were devoted to prayer. And they did it together because they shared the same vision and the same purpose for the gospel. And so do we. Beloved, we have opportunities to pray in this church. We need to establish more opportunities. One of the things that we want to be happening formally and informally here at TMBC this year is that we want to be praying together, praying for each other, praying for others, praying for those who are suffering in the world, praying for deep faith and confidence in the Word of God that the Gospel will do its work. Praying for the Spirit to sanctify us, to grow us in our love for our neighbors. Do you pray for that? To give us more attentive hearts toward those who are suffering. Praying that we might become more like Jesus in every possible way because we belong to Jesus and we pray in Jesus' name. That's what life together in Christ's church looks like. All of us bowed together before the same God, trusting Him to work, knowing that we are His, remembering that we're not of this world. Let me me say this, not in my notes, but let me throw it out there. If you are concerned with other people in the body and you wish that they would grow in certain ways and you wish they were on the same page as you, are you praying for them? Are you praying for them to see what you see in God's Word? Are you praying, if you're you're someone who has an evangelistic heart, are you praying that others would have an evangelistic heart? There's more. I want to look now at what it means to break bread together. Look at verse 42 again. Luke says they were devoted to the breaking of bread. They were devoted to it, committed to it. Look down at verse 46. Note that Luke adds they were breaking bread in their homes and this was day by day. It would be odd if if those two references 
refer to two different kinds of events. I, I think we have to see them as really the same thing going on there. We know from historical studies that the Jews would open their meals, the way they would open their meals, as one scholar put it, they would break a loaf with hands and give thanks to God. That meant the meal was open. So breaking bread together had to do with eating a meal together. Table fellowship, eating. But is that all that it's about? Are we simply being told that part of the Christian unity was that they were eating together? Now, don't get me wrong, I have no problem with eating. I like it a lot. Maybe too much. Okay? I even like eating with people, especially my Christian brothers and sisters. Why? I, I like eating with you because there's something personal and close about eating together. We're doing something that allows for a level of intimacy when we share a meal. We can't hide all too well when we're sitting down face-to-face eating. We're close. We're vulnerable. In fact, my friends who I eat with regularly, they hear me chew too loudly. They do. And they have seen food stuck to my face and in between my teeth. They've seen it. Sure, there can be formal dinners where we're a little more proper, but that's not what the early church was experiencing. It wasn't a banquet at some hall. They were all together in people's homes. As one author put it, the breaking of bread is best understood as a reference to ordinary meals which the believers regularly shared. But he adds this, and I think this is important. During which they remembered Jesus' death on the cross for the forgiveness of sins and for the establishment of the new covenant. In other words, two things were going on together while they were gathering for their meals. See, they're There's more here than just a meal. It seems also to be a reference of them partaking in the Lord's Supper. Now Luke, the same as the author of the book of Acts that we're reading from here, writes about a very fascinating encounter that some of Jesus' disciples had on the road to Emmaus. And you're familiar with this. In Luke 24, these disciples run into a resurrected Jesus, but they don't recognize him. And they have this great conversation with him about what they expected from Jesus of Nazareth. And then they thought he was their hope, but then he was crucified. And yeah, sure, some of our friends said that he had risen this morning, but, you know, didn't seem like they believed it that much. Toward the end of their time together on this road to Emmaus, they arrive at the place that they're going to stop, and they tell Jesus to come and share with them in a meal. That's what people did at the time. And then we read these fascinating words in Luke 24, 30 and 31. Listen to this. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. Beloved, it was only as Jesus broke the bread and gave it to them that they realized it's Him. It's Jesus. It was the breaking of the bread that led them to be able to see Jesus. Now there's something even more interesting. Don't miss this. Because two chapters earlier, in Luke chapter 22, we read these words as the disciples are having what we call the Last Supper with Jesus. Jesus, it says, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, you know it, this is my body, which is given for you. Do what? Do this in remembrance 
of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, the cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Remember the words of Jesus. Do this in remembrance of me. There is something glorious and fantastic and too much, too great for words taking place every time we partake in the Lord's Supper and we break bread together in His name. Paul understood. He understood the lasting value of this supper. He says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. The apostles understood that Jesus had given this special gift to them. The gift of revealing Himself and His grace through this important aspect of gathering together as believers in Him. It's not just something we do once a month. It's something our Lord commanded us, but also gave to us as a gift to receive His grace every time we partake. He had given them a way to receive again and again His kindness until we see Him face to face. This helps us to make sense of verses 46 and 47 in Acts chapter 2, our passage. Because notice that we're told there they received their food with glad and generous hearts. What does that mean? NAS translates it with gladness and sincerity of heart. I think we should translate it something like with joy and simplicity of heart. Joy and single-mindedness. Grateful, in other words, and content in what they have received in Jesus. They, their joy came from knowing Jesus. Amen? And when they were partaking in the bread and remembering what He had done, and they're looking around them at the tables and the people around them realizing He had done the same for those people as well, and they're eating and they're drinking and they're testifying to me that they have faith in this Christ too. And all around me are people that are witnessing to me that Jesus is who He says that He is, and we are partaking together, and He is revealing Himself to us in this table what can we have but joy? Why is Luke emphasizing joy and simplicity and sincerity? Because every time we come together and they sat down and they broke bread, their thoughts were again drawn to the Savior who lived and died and rose in their place and in Him was their contentment. They needed nothing more. Remember, they're selling their things to make sure everyone in their presence is taken care of. Those things didn't matter anymore. Because by partaking in the Lord's Supper, they were partaking in eternity. Because Jesus is Lord. Look at verse 47, and they praised God, they praised God, and they were doing so in front of an onlooking people and full of joy together in unity. They're speaking of this Messiah as though He's still alive and with them because He was and is. And the text tells us the people are watching them and somehow we're told that the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. I want you to picture it, beloved. They're sitting around, and I told you last week that their, their fellowship was not like some of ours, okay? They're not just talking about the Lakers. They're, they're talk, not talking about the weather and how their week was. That's not a bad thing. We should talk about those things too, but they were talking about Jesus. They were sharing His Word. They were praying together. 
They were singing songs of praise, biblical psalms taking on a whole new meaning for them. And every time they were getting to eat together, every time, that's what the text seems to indicate. Every time they gathered together with the church to eat, and every time the bread is broken, they couldn't help but think. Their minds were drawn to the image of Jesus himself taking the bread, breaking it, and passing it around to them. And saying, eat this, you're mine. Drink this, you're forgiven. Imagine those who had never met Jesus, right? They, they came after Jesus had already died and resurrected and ascended. They'd, they'd come after that, but in the church, every week, every time they gather, someone is breaking the bread and passing it around saying, look, this is Christ's body. Look, Christ's blood. Remember. It's as though they're receiving it from His hands. That's what it's meant for. Bread, a broken body, the cup, spilt blood, a meal made by the Savior's sacrificial suffering, but whose suffering brought us joy too magnificent for words. Now imagine this, beloved, we, we at TMBC in 2024, we get to share in that very same meal. The very same host. Jesus our Lord. He's the one offering to us a table now set before us. We're going to partake in. Life together in Christ we've enjoyed for a year now. We, we hear His Word. We have fellowship. We pray and we break bread. And He reveals Himself to us. Every time we do, we worship and we praise and we're filled with joy because we have one purpose, one mission, one Lord and Savior, and we eat from one table. We look around and we watch each other take the Lord's Supper, and by doing so, we're saying to each other, Jesus is our Savior. He will come again. Don't despair. Don't be discouraged. It doesn't matter what's going on around you, what you're enduring, what you're going through. Christ is on the throne and he will return to take us home. Amen? This table reminds us each time we partake, what a gift, what grace, what a Savior. At this time, I'm going to invite the men who are going to come and distribute the communion elements, I'm going to invite them to come forward. So if you would please join me down here. <clears throat> 